Wow, that is a great crowd. And if any of you are excited about kids that age, if any of you would like to get involved in, in participating with our Children's Church program or our Waterway 2-5 program, you can talk to me and I'll pass your name along to somebody who is, who is really well-versed in, in all that kind of stuff. But if that's something that kind of lights your fire, let me know and we'll get you plugged in. Now, I'd like to, uh, at this time this morning... I'd like to invite a good friend of mine. Uh, he's been here before, and so you may remember him from about a year ago. But Reverend Scott Dorsey is with us here today from Bridge of Hope Ministries. And we have been supporting Bridge of Hope for about as long as I remember, like a long time. This church has been passionate about what the ministry of Bridge of Hope has been doing. And we've seen different folks, uh, different folks take leadership in that, uh, in that organization. But here in the month of December, our mission giving is, is being directed in that direction. So, uh, Reverend Scott, would you come forward and, and share with us what God has put on your heart as far as what's happening with Bridge of Hope? What can we be thinking about? How can we be praying for you guys and celebrating with you guys? I'm, I'm going to pray with you. Yes. Uh, you kind of make me look bad, though. I like that jacket. Man. <laughs> Lord, I thank you that no matter what we look like, we can come to you. Lord, I thank you that no matter what we look like, and even no matter what we feel like, I thank you, Lord, that you are strong and you are good yes, and you are watching over all things. Lord, in this moment, watch over us. Help us to say and hear and know the things that we need to say and hear and know. Lord, we trust you to lead us. Holy Spirit, come and guide us. Amen. Amen. Well, I was going, I was going to wear my Converse's, but my, my wife said, no, go like you. Like Always listen to the wife. That's, that's what they tell me. Um, and then I heard the escape room and I thought, that's where I go when I watch the Eagles from one to four. But it has a new meaning to me now. But thank you for educating me on what the escape room is. But please do not tell my wife because I have another meaning for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you all for allowing me to come uh, this morning and be part of your worship service. I always enjoy coming and listening to the Word of God and listening to and coming and worshiping and hearing the wonderful songs and seeing you all. Again, my name is Scott Dorsey from Bridge of Hope. And many of you know Bridge of Hope has been in this area, especially for almost 30 years. And what we do is we serve and help those who are facing homelessness throughout Chester County, but all through the nation. We're in 13 states. We're all through the state of Pennsylvania. My focus has always been working right here in Chester County. And in this day and time where affordable housing anywhere is almost impossible, more families are facing homelessness throughout the, this county and all through the nation more than ever. And so we're first, I wanna say thank you. Thank you for the years of support that you and Waterway have given us financially, spiritually, emotionally, we thank you because every bit of your support is helpful to helping us in what I call the ministry of those who are facing homelessness. I'm reminded in the scripture, and I'm an old Baptist preacher, so y'all forgive me, five minutes is 10 minutes to me. But I try, I'm gonna try. Just try it. That, that pulpit doesn't let people get done on time. I don't know what it is, Scott. I'm trying. I'm trying. But I'm reminded in, in, in a scripture that I just preached out of in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, where 
two, where the mother comes and says, I would like you, Jesus, to put both of my boys in, in an elevated position of authority. And, and, and Jesus had just talked to them about where he was going and what he was about to face. It was almost like they weren't listening. But in the midst of it, the other disciples got a little mad. How do you, why do you want to get elevated? But right after all of that, and sometimes missed in that scripture at the bottom of Matthew 20, is there's two souls outside saying, can we see? Can somebody help us see? And the Lord goes and, 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 and heals them of their blindness. And in Christmas, you know, we see so many different things. My, my wife is in the midst of uh, getting gifts for my 29-year-older and my 26-year-old. I said, didn't they grow up? <laughs> but she still has that spirit of giving to our children. And many times we can get caught up with the, the holidays, the gifts, the Christmas trees. But let us be reminded what the season is all about. Remember Jesus? Remember his birth? But what we forget about the birth is that his that, that Mary and Joseph couldn't find a place for him to be born. There was no room in the inn. For all intents and purposes, they were facing homelessness. And there are many people right now in the same situation, facing homelessness, facing a situation where they have one child in, one, in a place, another family member is keeping another person, and they're one step of trying to figure out where are we going to live. My church in, in the Norristown area, we've been housing a family in a hotel, nine people. And in that, in that situation, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do, and we've been housing them for over a month because they have nine children. What does that family do? What Bridge, of Help, what Bridge of Hope does is we provide a social worker and we provide a, a team of church members who will act as volunteers. Those volunteers provide that emotional support while our social worker, our program director, provides the social service part of that. And we work with them for a year and a half. And currently, right now, and I make this urgent plea to you. We need support right here in the Oxford area. We have a family facing homelessness in the midst of Oxford, and we've put out a plea to the ministerium. And right now, we have three individuals who will help us be that volunteer group. We need three more individuals that will be with this family for the next year, helping them, guiding them through this process as they face homelessness right here in the Oxford community. So if you're interested, please see me. Please get in contact with me or talk to Pastor because we need people right now in this area of Oxford. We want people to have a place in the end. So thank you for your time, your attention, and most importantly, as you give, please continue to pray for the ministry of Bridge of Hope. And as we touch every family, may we make a difference in our community to end homelessness. Thank you.
God bless and grace and peace to all of you. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank Appreciate you. you. Thank you. Well done. Well done. It's a little hard for me to wrap my mind around homelessness. I've always been blessed with a home to live in. Even when I was in my uh, late teen years, early 20 years in the college and seminary transition, didn't have much money, there were always resources that I could call on to have a place to be. One of the things that I think many of us forget about, especially here in southern Chester County, southern Lancaster County, one of the things that we forget about is that there are not a lot of resources here for those who find themselves in trouble. Think about this. For those of you who have had family coming in from far away, if you've never been able to have them in your house, I know most of you do, but if you've got, we, we've run into this even in the ministerium, if we run into somebody who is legitimately in need, they're saying, I need a place to stay, can you name a hotel within 15 or 20 minutes of here that you would gladly send your friends? There is not much. There's just not much very close, even for a night or two or three of helping somebody out, or, or if it's really cold outside, you know, you find somebody, and, and Steve and I and, and others in the ministry have run into this, you find somebody living in a car or in a parking lot, and you say, boy, we'd love to put you in a, well, there's a, a nice little spot down in Northeast, 10, 15 minutes away. Other than that, you're going to Strasburg, or maybe Elkton, or maybe, you know, these are some of the dynamics that are just particular to our area. And then the reality is most of the cheaper housing in the area is already full. Somebody said, well, can't somebody find, well, are there some low-income places in Oxford? Yeah. Do you know how many people are living there right now? Most of us don't. Are, are there some cheap houses out in the countryside? Yep. And they're all bought, some of them by us, because, you know, I could use an income from a second property. Just think about it. If you had limited means, what would you do? That may help you to understand a bit more of what Bridge of Hope is trying to do and other ministries, what they're trying to do here in the area. But we're going to transition now. I appreciate the connection to Mary and Joseph finding no place in the end. I hadn't thought about that before. That's a fantastic connection to this Christmas season and, and really helps to drive it home for me. But here's where we're going today. As many of you know, here through the, through the year 2022, I've been preaching through the book of Mark. And way back in January, as, as I was kind of planning for this, and Steve and I were looking together at what's the year going to look like, my initial thought was I wanted to wrap up Mark by Thanksgiving so that Advent, which began last week, could be kind of a new time focused on Adventy stuff, you know, Christmas kind of stuff. But no matter how we tried to work it out and tried to shoehorn sermons here and there, it kept working out that, that we were going to be finishing Mark in the beginning of December. And I thought, I don't know if I like that. It's, it's kind of, we're going to be talking about the crucifixion of Christ, which is at the end of Mark. Talking about the crucifixion of Christ at the same time as we're thinking about the birth of Christ and, and Advent, which calls us not just to celebrate the birth of Christ, but to look forward to the return of Christ. And then it occurred to me, and, and we'll see if this is reinforced for you. It occurred to me that if we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas time, which frankly, for us Christians, is pretty easy to do. It's in every song that we sing, right? Christmas time, what's it about? The birth of Jesus Christ. 
And if we're going to talk about the coming return of Jesus Christ, that's, that's what we wait for now. Mary and Joseph waited for their son to be born. The Jews waited for the Messiah to be born. We now wait for Jesus Christ to come back. We often talk about that. You've heard me say that the time of Advent is a time of already but not yet. Christ has already come and done his work, but he's not yet returned, and so we wait. That's kind of the typical Advent message. Every year we figure out how to say it differently. But today we're going to study in Mark 15, and we're going to look at an event between the birth of Christ and the return of Christ that is essential for understanding all of it, and that's the death of Christ. This is often the kind of thing that gets preached about in the spring, closer to Easter, and you'll hear about it again. But today we're looking at Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 16, as we try to understand the life of Jesus. What did he do? Why does it matter? Because the reality is all of us have been born celebrating a birth or even a birthday. <clears throat> Big whoop, right? To use one of those phrases from about my third grade year. I mean, who, who, we've all been born. We celebrate birthdays and that's fun, but that doesn't make, that doesn't make a person special, does it? Makes them loved in the eyes of the Lord. But what is it that really makes Jesus Christ special? Well, it's, it's what we're going to read about today and what we're going to think about next week, this, this death on the cross for us. And then, frankly, everybody dies. Big whoop. Well, next week we're going to talk about the resurrection of Christ, the power to come back. And I hope that this will help us remember what it is we're celebrating in this Christmas time. So Mark 15, verses 16 to 47. Last week we heard about the trial of Jesus Christ and how before Pilate he was, he was mocked and he was questioned and as a sheep before the slaughter he was largely silent. After Pilate said, I have no grounds to find this man guilty, I have no grounds to execute him, but after Pilate washed his hands of the situation and turned Jesus back over to these Jewish folks who wanted to kill him, the Jewish folks decided indeed they would kill him and so it says that the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace. The Jewish folks didn't have authority to kill anyone. They didn't have machines or devices to kill people. They didn't have their own little electric chair or guillotine or, or their own little Jewish set of crosses. No, this was a Roman death. And so the Romans ran it. And so these Roman soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium. They called together the whole company of soldiers. Could have been hundreds of them there. We don't really know. But a company is a bunch. It's not just two or three. What did they do? Verse 17. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. This crown of thorns, it was uh, from the pyracanthus bush. The thorns are often as long as your fingers. Adults, look at your fingers. Imagine thorns that long, about as big as pencils at their base. That's a thorn twist it around, put it on your head, think about how comfortable it is not. But they put one of these together, they set it on him, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they would have said it a lot like that in their, in their language. It wasn't a privilege, or it wasn't a, uh, a compliment. Verse 19, again and again, they struck him on the head. The head that had what on it? A crown of large, gnarly thorns. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff, and they spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, 
the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. They forced him to carry the cross. It's almost as if Mark is saying, hey, you readers, you, you people who aren't sure, you, you want to witness? Well, I'll give you a very specific one. There's a guy named Simon, and I'm going to tell you that he's from Cyrene. We even get to find out that he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Oh, it's that Simon, right? And we know that he was coming in from the country. So we know, we know his first name. We know his location. We know the names of his children. We know where he lived. And we know where he was traveling from that day at that moment. Mark is almost anticipating that, yeah, I don't know. He says, well, go talk to him. Talk to Siren. Simon of Cyrene. Ask him about it. But there's something else going on here too. Who pulled Simon aside? Who is it that made him carry the cross? This will come in handy as a memory in just a few moments. This was the Romans. The Romans, just another Jewish slave. Hey, Simon, carry this cross. It echoes the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke this earlier in Mark. In fact, it was Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The cross didn't have the meaning yet that it was going to, but Jesus could see what was coming, and now we see it unfolding. So Simon was passing by on his way in from the country, an innocent bystander, some might say, and the Romans forced him to carry the cross. Verse 22, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. In Latin, skull is a word that sounds a lot like the word that we might use for that place called Calvary. You've heard of how Jesus was hung on Calvary. That's just the Latin translation of Golgotha, place of the skull. By the way, um, Calvus, which is kind of sharing some, uh, some root word here with, with Calvary. Calvus means bald in Latin. So if any of you have a brother or an uncle or a dad named Calvin, now you have one more way to tease him. Hey, yeah. But they brought Jesus to this place, the place of the skull. Verse 23, then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. This would have been like a painkiller, okay? Jesus stayed sharp through all this. Jesus didn't numb the pain. He didn't fall asleep. Jesus died on the cross in full possession of his awareness and his powers. And Jesus lived up to his prediction that he would not again drink the fruit of the vine until he was in glory with his disciples. Do you remember how we talked about that when we discussed the Last Supper? So Jesus was offered this painkiller, but he turned it down. And it says in verse 24 that then they crucified him. What that means is they, they hung him on a cross. They put nails through his hands and his feet to keep him there. And the way crucifixion works, Mark doesn't go into it, and, and I'm not going to go into it too deeply, but basically people hang there, criminals, people who are sentenced to death by the Romans, they hang there on the cross often for 24 hours, 30 hours, 36 hours. They don't die from their wounds, gruesome as they would be. They don't die from their feet being staked into the cross. They die because eventually they can't hold themselves up anymore, and they start to sag, and it's hard to breathe, and they have to... <gasps> And eventually, there's no muscles to go, and they suffocate on the cross. Usually takes a day, day and a half for a strong person to die that way. That's what they did to Jesus. 
Let's not deceive ourselves. This is misery. They crucified them. Often, often they crucified them with no clothing, but in this area where the Jews were predominant and where they had uh, a bit more modesty than many cultures in the place, they, they allowed the person who was hung to be uh, dressed in some very, very basic undergarments. But they crucified him, these Romans, and they divided up his clothes, and they gambled to see what each of them would get. Why? Well, because it's just another day to these Romans. It's just another guy. They're just doing their job. I mean, we might as well get something out of this. Verse 25 tells us that it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. These are people who are actual criminals. These are the kind of people that Rome would have liked to make an example, saying, if you rebel against Rome, which many Israelite people would have liked to do, which many people around the Roman Empire would have liked to do, throw off their oppressors. We need our independence. We've heard these calls before, haven't we? What Rome would do to keep those kind of feelings at bay is to make an example of the rebels, hang them on a cross. This is why they didn't do a quick, easy kind of execution. We're going to hang them up there, maybe for a day or two. It's going to be misery, and it's a warning to anybody else who would think this. Two rebels were hung beside Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned, Reverend Scott, you mentioned James and John. Their mother spoke for them earlier, but even James and John, Bonerges, the sons of thunder. James and John at one time had requested to be at Jesus' right and his left. Well, they weren't there now, were they? We make big pronouncements about following Jesus when it's easy, when it's convenient, when it looks like glory's on his way. But here in his most dreadful hour, Jesus hangs between two criminals. Verse 29 says that those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So? You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. Have any of you ever had to have a hard job? Have any of you ever had an assignment that was really, really difficult? And have any of you ever had someone that while you were doing that difficult job, they came by and mocked you? What do you want to do when you hear that person speaking to you? You're in the middle of something, they say, well, it can't be that hard. You haven't had that happen to you, have you? Oh, what's the big deal? Just do your job. Oh, quit complaining and just get it done. What does, what does every instinct in you want to do? Oh, here, I'll show you. Here's Jesus not only going through this agony and misery, but people are mocking him. Come on down. And Jesus, in his mind, knows that he can. I mean, that's, that's one of the real killers here, isn't it? Jesus, in his mind, knows I could call legions of angels. I don't have to do this but he did it. In the same way as those people from the crowd, it says in verse 31 that the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Right, right, right? So that we can see and believe. Some of you in the years before you really did see and believe, you, you said the same kind of thing, didn't you? Yeah, just show me. Show me, and then I'll follow. Well, how much do you need to see? Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. 
Soldiers mocked and beat him, spat on him, put a crown of thorns on his head. Passersby mocked him. Chief priests and teachers mocked him. Those crucified beside him even insulted him. Now, one of the other Gospels tells a story about how eventually one of those rebels came around. But we can see the pain. He was crucified at 9. Verse 33 tells us that at noon, darkness came over the whole land until 3 in the afternoon. So for three hours, the land was dark. So now Jesus, he's been hanging on the cross for three, four, five hours. He's, he's feeling this, he's hearing this, and now it's dark in the middle of the day. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, forgive me, I am, I am not a Hebrew or Aramaic kind of a scholar. But the scripture tells us, Mark tells us that he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which, by the way, is a direct quote of the first verse of Psalm 22. Even in his deepest moment of agony, Jesus is still spouting the words of God. Jesus hasn't fallen off in some kind of human weakness. And, no, Jesus is still filled with Scripture. And, and that just leads me to a little tiny bunny trail. Has your study of Scripture given you the words no matter what comes? I mean, we have, we have all of us, the opportunity to have the Bible in front of us. And, and we have all of us, the opportunity, even if we can't sit down in our escape room to take extra time to read it, we have almost all of us the opportunity to listen to it. Do you have a phone? I mean, I know there might be one or two of you here in the room who don't, but if you've got a phone, you can find a Bible app. You can listen to it. Listen to it while you drive. Listen to it. Many of you can listen to it while you're at work. Put in your, put in your AirPods or just let it, let it go. Some of you, you could, you could have it on the background while you sleep if you want to. Do you and I love the Word of God that much so that we're ready no matter what happens, even after we've been hanging on a cross for six hours, we can still have the Word of God close to us? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 35 says that when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Wine vinegar was a peasant's drink. Who brings wine vinegar to a crucifixion? Somebody who's planning to hang out for a while. Ever take a thermos to a ball game? Jesus at this point has been on the cross for six hours. Historical documents tell us that many people hung on the cross for 24 hours or more, but at six hours, it says in verse 37, that with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Now, we're going to go a bit further in the scripture next week. Okay, next week we're going to talk about some things that happened right after his death and we're going to talk about the resurrection and, and what that all looked like. But here's what I want to think about with you for, for the rest of the time today. This centurion heard Jesus cry and saw him die and something in him responded so that with his voice he said, surely this man was the son of God. Do you remember what the angels announced 
to Mary and Joseph right before Jesus was born. I mean, those are some of the stories that you typically hear at Christmas time. I'll rehearse some of them for you. In Matthew chapter 1, an angel appeared to Joseph, who would be Jesus' earthly father, not his biological father, but his earthly father. An angel appeared to Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Mary at this time was pregnant. They were engaged, but they were not yet married. This would have been despicable in that time. And so oftentimes, if a a husband-to-be found himself dishonored in that way, he would just quietly not go through with the marriage and, and move on with life. But here an angel said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And in Matthew 1, 21, it says, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. An angel spoke to Joseph before Jesus was even born as he was growing in his mother's womb and said, this is from the Holy Spirit. He will save his people from their sins. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel, we're told specifically that it's Gabriel, the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary and said to Mary, do not be afraid. Same thing that was said to Joseph. Any of you remember? I'm not going to ask, wait, wait, wait. Okay, time out. There may be some of you in the room who are pregnant right now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm just going to invite you to think about some of the emotions that you're feeling as you carry this child. Any fear at all? Those of you who have had children, and I don't care if you're the the husband or the wife or the dad or the mom, there's all kinds of ways that we end up with children. But as you were anticipating the arrival of that child, however he or she arrived, were any of you afraid of just what might be? Any of you ever concerned, what's, what's delivery going to be like? Or, or what's adoption day going to be like? Or, or are they going to be healthy? Am I going to be healthy? Is this going to hurt? What's, what's our marriage going to be like? What's our situ- Where are we going to live? Any of you ever have those thoughts? Makes sense that an angel would say to Joseph, Joseph, don't be afraid. Mary, don't be afraid. Gabriel went on and said to Mary in Luke chapter 1, Mary, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. And now this is what the angel said to her. Listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. It sounds a lot like what was said to Joseph. But here's a little bit more. Gabriel said to Mary, Mary who's engaged to Joseph, I like to hope and think that a married couple would be thinking about things, talking about things. This couple, as they're getting together, I hope they compared. Oh, I heard from an angel. I did too. What did they say? Seems like the kind of thing that a couple would talk about. Gabriel said to Mary, gave her a little bit more than was given to Joseph, said, he will be great. This is Luke 1, 32. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Before his birth, it was announced to Mary, this is the son of God. As soon as he was dead, it was announced by the centurion, surely this was the son of God. Oh, there's more. In Luke chapter 2, an angel came to the shepherds and says, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. We know that Simeon was a man at the temple. He was an older gentleman waiting for God to make things right, and the Holy Spirit had spoken to him. When Simeon saw the baby Jesus brought to the temple, 
He said, I can die now because I've seen the Lord's Messiah. Anna, it says, was an 84-year-old prophet. She saw Jesus too. She practically lived at the temple. She had been married for seven years, but then her husband died. And for the rest of her life, she was at the temple fasting and praying and just looking forward to God doing all that he was going to do. And it says that she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, Jesus, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Jesus, before he was even a week or two or three old, had been announced, this is the Son of God. All through his life, he lived at any he lived it perfectly. People didn't believe. They scoffed and mocked. They spat on him, but he lived it perfectly, and he even here at his death now, the centurion, there's no indication that he had been a believer. He's not a Jewish person. He's a Roman soldier, but he stood there in front of Jesus, and he saw how he died and said, surely this is the Son of God. When a baby's born, do you ever think about how he or she's going to die? I know. I, that's not a happy, cheerful kind of thought, is it? But those of you who have held babies, and that's almost all of you in this room, do you ever look at that child and, and your first thought is, I wonder how they're going to die? Oh, it almost, feels, it almost feels wrong to say it, doesn't it? Well, we're all going to die. Unless the Lord comes first, we're all going to die. Get used to it, people. Get comfortable with it. Start talking about it. Don't be afraid. The Lord holds all things in his hand, even the day of our death. But, but a little child, what do you think about when you hold a baby? What do you think about? Well, who do they look like? Do they look like mom or dad? Do they look like me? I hope they do. I hope they don't. What do you think? Who are they going to be? Isn't that often where your mind goes this first time that you hold this little? Who are they going to be? Will they be like this? Will they be like, will, will they be smart? Will they be athletic? Will they be tall or will they be short? Will they be, oh, will they love Jesus? I hope they love Jesus. What about this child? Will, will they take care of me when I'm old? What about this child? Will, will this child be happy? And sometimes we might go as far as saying, what kind of life is this child going to live? Oh, what kind of world are they born into? And as we imagine all the things about this child, we, we wait for it all to unfold. That's the great adventure of watching children grow. And, and church, don't ever forget how blessed we are to be seeing so much of that kind of adventure here at our church. I know pastors who will give their left arm to be able to have a group of children come forward. But when you look at these children, do you ever think about how they're going to die? Do you remember the place where Mark, who wrote this gospel, do you remember the place where Mark got his information? Mark was not a disciple. Mark was not a firsthand witness to a lot of these things. But Mark wrote it down. Do you remember who told Mark? Who was the one who kind of was his background? Who, 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 who was his source? Who, who told Mark? What do you remember? Who told Mark about so many of the things that he wrote down? Who was it? Peter. Peter, the rock, the one whose name was Simon when he was, when he was born and as he grew up. But then Jesus said, I rename you, I name you Peter. You are the rock and upon you my church will be built. Peter is Mark's source of information. Peter had a deep faith. You'll remember Peter is the one who got out of the boat and he walked on water for a bit before he started to get afraid. But Peter didn't get a lot of things right at first. You remember we just in the last couple of weeks talked about how he rejected Jesus three times, which would have been, by the way, 
within 24 hours of when Jesus is dying. It's very recent to the chronology of Mark chapter 15. Peter is Mark's source of information. As Peter had some time later to reflect on what he knew about the birth of Jesus, and as Peter reflected about what he would have told Mark about the death of Jesus. Peter, knowing what the centurion said, Peter wasn't right there at the cross, but there were a lot of people who were watching from a distance, and there would have been stories going around. Peter, after he had some time to reflect, knowing who Jesus was, knowing that Jesus was the Savior of the world, Peter, who wrote in his letter to the churches in 1 Peter 3.22, Peter said that Jesus is now, and this would, have been, this would have been some time after Jesus died, some time after Jesus rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. When Jesus was no longer on this earth and all this stuff was history, Peter, who had been an eyewitness, one of the closest friends of Jesus, one of the closest disciples, Peter reflected and said in 1 Peter 3.22, that Jesus is at God's right hand with the angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. That's where Jesus is now. Sometimes we say Jesus is in our hearts, and that's good because what you're meaning is that you're thinking of Jesus, but no, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Jesus right now is in heaven at the right hand of God, seated on his throne, waiting to come back with whatever force is needed to make all things right. Jesus right now is in heaven. Peter said as much. 1 Peter 3.22, Jesus is at God's right hand with the angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Sometimes we preachers, you've, you've noticed this, sometimes we preachers struggle once we've gone through the Bible study to know how to encourage our congregations to put this into practice. Sometimes we struggle to, to tell you what to do now that you've heard the scripture. Today, for this next couple of minutes, Let's consider what Peter, who lived through all this, who was the source for Mark, let's consider what he did with everything that he saw, knowing about the birth of Jesus, understanding what he did about the death of Jesus, having been a witness to the resurrected Jesus, and then watching him go off into heaven. Here is what Peter said, and church, this may feel like it's coming out of right field, but I just want to think about this with you. And if you get confused, frustrated, or curious, you can look at the book of 1 Peter later today specifically chapters 2 and 3. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 2. After Peter watched Rome kill Jesus because of what the Jews had requested. Here's what Peter said years later. 1 Peter 2.13, Peter said to the church, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Have any of you heard any foolish people spouting ignorant talk lately? Let's move on. You know, it's tempting to say that Peter, 2,000 years ago in Israel, he doesn't understand what we go through. Maybe, he, maybe his words don't apply anymore. But Peter watched a perfect man be hung on a cross subject to unjust authorities. And Peter later in his life wrote this in 1 Peter 2.17. He said, show proper respect, church. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. That all makes sense. I love it. And then it says, honor the emperor. I don't care for that. But frankly, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God decided to put in Scripture. And here it is. 
a little bit further on in 1 Peter 2, 18. How do we live? How do we apply this? With Jesus as our example, and now hearing the very words of Peter who watched it all. How do we live? Well, in verse 18, there's a word to slaves. Slaves, boy, that's a loaded word today. I'll unpack that later. I'm sorry, I'm going to leave you hanging. But look at, look at what these people are told to do. Peter, speaking then, 2,000 years ago then, I know slavery, there's been all kinds of iterations, and, and slavery is a horrible, horrible thing. But here's what Peter said. He said, even you slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. And now here's the thing that you need to underline for you, because this applies to you and to me. 1 Peter 2.18, the second part of it. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. But now Christians, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then here's what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.23. When they hurled their insults at him, we heard about this, right? It's in Mark 15. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That is God. Oh, and then there's a word in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband. So I know I can feel the hot water. Yep, it's coming up to my ears, but I'm going to keep talking because I have a couple minutes and a microphone. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband so that if any of them do not believe... So even to unbelievers, if any of them don't believe that you may win them over without words by your behavior when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Husbands, 1 Peter 3, 7, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect. 1 Peter 3, 14 then says to Christians, and this covers all of us, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Now, just in case none of those situations covered you, in 1 Peter 5, he says, you who are younger, I'll let you decide which of you is younger. Submit yourselves to your elders. And then in 1 Peter 5, Peter, who was the source of so much of Mark's information about what happened to Jesus, Peter, the one who lived in, and tradition says he was hung on an upside-down cross because he made the authorities so mad by living for God. He made people so mad about his faith that they wanted to crucify him. He said, don't crucify me like Jesus. I'm I'm." Nowhere close to Jesus, tradition says that he was crucified upside down because of his own request. But here's what Peter wrote. And church, this preaches to me today. In 1 Peter 5, verse 5. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've had suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. In this time, church, as we study the death of Christ who submitted himself even to evil people, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ who came to be our Savior, and as we look forward to the return of Christ who is going to make all things 
submit to him. What do we do? We live according to how the scripture guides us. And in the scripture, we find this book of 1 Peter that says, submit. Even to those authorities around you who don't seem to be just. Even to the people around you who seem to be harsh. Why? Because in the long run, it is worth it. Some of them may be saved. I wonder if Jesus had any of that in mind as he hung on the cross. Why am I doing this? Why am I putting up with this? Don't we know these judges, these governors, these soldiers, all these, they're all corrupt. They're all wrong. They don't honor the Lord. They have, they have no idea what is going, what did Jesus do? Jesus, our example. What is our mission, church? To help everyone we know become more like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He submitted himself to God, following God's plan. And then he humbled himself even to the point of death. Church, is there a word in there for you? If you're not sure, if you're bugged, or if you want to think about it some more, go home and read the book of 1 Peter. It'll take you 15 or 20 minutes. And think about it, and then give me a call. Let's talk about this some more, about how we live for Jesus Christ, the one whom the centurion said, surely this is the Son of God. Can we pray together? Lord, it is hard to live for you. Lord, it is glorious to be yours. It is glorious to be your sons and daughters, to know that we have eternity waiting for us and to know that we can live life to the full even while we are here. But Lord, there are some hard, hard ethics being put forward in your scripture. Lord, I don't want to submit to anybody Lord, I admit to you in my heart, I don't want to listen to anybody except you. Lord, I want it to be just a me and you kind of life and everybody else can take a walk. Lord, in prayer today in front of all these people, I confess this. And Lord, I believe that I'm not alone. Lord, we are a proud people. We are a people who yell loudly and sometimes fight fiercely for things like our rights, for things like our beliefs. Lord, help us to be wise and godly and biblical as we decide how to interact with all the people in our lives, even the authorities, even the bad authorities. Lord, help us figure out how to live this life well so that in the end, more and more and more people will see our conduct, maybe even our death, and then proclaim, surely, surely Jesus is the Son of God. Lord, help us. Help us now in our minds and in our hearts in this congregation and in all of our lives. Help us now, Lord, to live for you, remembering who Jesus is, not just the little baby in the manger, not just the returning king, but also the dying, suffering, humble king on a cross. Lord, help us. Amen. Church, would you stand and sing with us our closing song this morning? He shall reign forevermore.